One thing that I wanted to get with you about is uh, I think that all those are great suggestions and definitely people can, uh, you know, use those as well. But uh, there are some emerging things that have come up uh, over the last couple of years, let's say. Um, so a lot of people hear about Bitcoin. So um, what are some kind of some tax things in regards to, to Bitcoin and, and how that, that would work with your, your cryptocurrencies and stuff? Yeah, this is kind of a new topic. I kind of look back at statistics on the Bitcoin, and the IRS released some. Uh, the IRS said for the tax year 2015, when Bitcoin was first coming around, there were only 800 personal tax returns filed in 2015 that showed any Bitcoin activity. 800? So, huh? Yeah, so even back then, there were very few people that were participating and trading and selling Bitcoin back then. It's a lot more now, but you just have to realize Bitcoin is like any other investment. If you buy into it and then later sell it, you're going to have a gain or loss based on what you sold it for compared to what you bought it for. So you just need to keep good records uh, if you're participating in crypto or Bitcoin. You're only, you only have to report it on your return when you actually sell some of it. If you're just a buy and hold, there's nothing to report because you're just made an investment and you keep track in your own records of what you paid for. If you're just holding it, there's nothing to report. It's only in the year that you trade it or maybe if it expires and you have a loss, then you want to you know, consult with someone and make sure that you get it reported correctly on your return to your benefit. Yeah, and that makes me think about, uh, you know, as cryptocurrency becomes, or Bitcoin becomes more of a currency as opposed to an investment. I know it's still kind of some uh, two thoughts on that. But yeah, if I... If I have my expense business and I buy, you know, shoes and Bitcoin for the business, like, is that going to get dicey with my return or is it still, you know, tax returns are still related around U.S. currency? It, it would be similar as if you bought it with cash. I mean, whatever you pay for materials in your business, that becomes uh, an expense on your books for materials. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it gets a little dicey there, but we'll have to see how that all goes, but. But yeah, I think, uh, like you said, that it, ultimately it's just a matter of when you you buy and you sell it. You know, otherwise it's just kind of. Now I'll, I will say this: if you're performing services for someone and instead of getting paid back in a check or cash, they pay you in Bitcoin. Of course, that's income to you when you collect it because it's in exchange for services that you've done. Yeah, and I guess that's maybe kind of what I was trying to ask. That's a perfect example of what I was thinking is, you know, now do I need to do like a uh, an exchange? You know, like what, what you know, if I got paid in 10 Bitcoin and that's worth, you know, 60,000 or something, like how, to, how is that going to show up on my, my taxes? Well, everyone needs to remember, if you're performing services, not as an employee, let's say you, you're a contractor and you perform services for someone, instead of them giving you U.S. dollar currency back, they give you Bitcoin. Whoever you're providing the service to, they're supposed to report back at the end of the year on a Form 1099. They issue the 1099 to the IRS and to you. It should show the, the U.S. dollar equivalent of the Bitcoin when they paid you. Because it's compensation to you, and they're record they're required to report any compensation they pay to contractors 
to the IRS. So hopefully you'll get a official tax form that you know explains the tax consequences of getting paid for rendering services with virtual currency. Nice. Yeah, it definitely seems like an area that uh, is going to continue to grow and definitely be a little bit more. Uh, it's not super transparent with me, and I'm sure that it will uh, over the years. But um, that kind of makes me think also about, uh, you know, we heard a lot about uh, Robin Hood and a lot of day traders that people got into it. Um, I guess that kind of goes along with the same lines, correct, in regards to any of their investments and purchases. Yeah, if you have a trading account with uh, Robin Hood or TD Ameritrade or any of the other large brokers, if you're trading with them and have an account with them, they're required at the end of the year to report back to you and to the IRS any taxable transactions that have been run through their account, especially trade, buys, and sales. They report back to you and give you an official tax form that explains the tax consequences of it. So you always want to be on the lookout for that form. It usually comes every year at the end of January. Sometimes it spills over and arrives in February, you know, this time of the year, you always want to be on the lookout to getting that form because you're going to need it to prepare your tax return. That's great. And then uh, in regards to what is the minimum, like if I, you know, was a, a day trader and only made X amount of dollars or I worked at a, an ice cream store and I didn't get, uh, you know, I didn't make a ton of money, like what's the minimum on a W-9 that I need to report or do taxes? Well, for a, for a person who's not a dependent, like a, a person that's an adult, generally if you have any income source, it can be unearned income from investments like interest and dividends, it can be earned income from a W-2 job. If all that combined in any one year is 12000 or less, you're not required to file a tax return because the standard deduction you're allowed as a person is about 12000 that automatically gets written off of your income. So the IRS says, why even file a return if your income is so low? We don't request a return from you. Once your income goes over 12000 for a single person, you're required to file a return. Okay, and that's a good point to delineate too, that you know, if I'm a day trader and I made $3,000, well, that's below the 12000 but if I had another job, and I made ten thousand dollars. So together, I have taxable income of thirteen thousand. Even though that three thousand is less than twelve thousand, it doesn't mean that I, you know, I still need to count all of that. Yeah, it's it's your combined income that you have to report on your return. And for dependents like children, some children when they get up to thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, they get a part time job, and they have a small W two. Even though the child is being claimed on the parent's return. As a dependent, there are some cases where the child has to file his own return that year to claim that income if it's over a certain amount, and the, the amount is a lot less than twelve thousand. Um, I don't remember the number right now, but it's it's lower than what an adult would be. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. So some children that earn very little from a part-time job, they don't even have to file their return and claim it at all. And of course, the parents not going to claim it because it wasn't the parent's income; it's the right. child's income. So some some small income like that doesn't even have to be reported. Oh, that's nice. Works out good. All right. So another hot topic that I wanted to uh, to bring to your attention is uh, the National Football League um, certainly uh, embraced uh, gambling and uh, all of uh, the things that come with that. They now have a Las Vegas uh, football team, which had been uh, – 
not allowed for the longest because, again, they wanted to keep that separation. But now, since they've embraced gambling, we have a, a an entire uh, resurgence of people that are gambling. So can you talk about uh, any kind of suggestions that people that uh, are kind of just getting into the gambling or even been doing it a while, maybe some things that they need to think about in regards to taxes? Yeah, it's common here in Texas because a lot of People in Texas like to go to Louisiana because they have casinos across the border. So I see it a lot where my Texas clients have gambling winnings at Cushada or the casinos up in Oklahoma. So the rule the 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 IRS has is any gambling winnings where you actually won something, you have to report that. There's no minimum amount of gambling winnings that you can have and not have to report it. Again, it, it falls under that $12,000 rule. You know, if, if gambling was your only income source for the year and your gambling winnings were less than 12, you probably don't have to report it on your return. But most of the clients I see, you know, have a steady job and then they go gamble on the weekend. So if they have any gambling winnings, they have to be reported because their other income is higher. It kicks them over the limit. You can offset your gambling winnings by any gambling losses that you have in the same year. And it doesn't even have to be the same casino. You could go to different casinos. You could be a winner at one casino, and you could have losses at another casino. And the losses at the second casino offset your winnings at the other one, if they're in the same calendar year. Okay. Can you put some clarity around that? Because it's easy when you talk about like what you were saying with Bitcoin, if I buy Bitcoin, uh, you know, there's no tax consequences. But once I sell Bitcoin, then there's going to be that discrepancy of what I bought it for and what I. So what is considered a winning or a loss? If I go into the <laughs> I go into Kushada, as you say, and I, I go in, is that a buy? And then when I come out, that's a sell or, or what do you think? That's a great question, Steve. So usually. I've never been in a casino myself, but I think the way it works is when you show up at a casino and you want to bet that day there, they usually require you to set up an account with them where they have your name, address, your social security number, and you set up an account. And usually you you give them uh, a certain amount of cash ahead of time when you show up, and that's what you play with that day. So let's say you show up at the casino and you put a thousand bucks in the slot machine that day and you use your little trader card they give you to track it, and you don't win anything, you walk away that day with losing the 1000 bucks, Which which is that, probably a good chance of yeah, that, but go ahead. That will be a gambling loss for you because you actually forked over your own money and didn't get anything back. But if all you do is lose all year long and you never win, you're not going to be able to write off any of the losses because losses can only be written off to the extent you also had winnings during the same oh, year. Okay, so so if I did ten thousand in losses, but only mustered up three thousand in winnings, you can only deduct three thousand of your losses against the three thousand <laughs> of winnings to make it zero out. Ah, uh, the in this case, the White House always wins, huh? Well, the IRS doesn't want to encourage people to go gamble knowing they're going to lose and think, well, I'm going to be able to write that off on my return. I don't care. Right. So that's why they only allow you to write off losses to the extent of winnings. Okay. And uh, gambling, is that going to be a lotto ticket? What is that going to... Yeah. Gambling can be anything. It can be a Texas lotto scratch-off ticket. It could be uh, the larger Texas lotto that you do. It could be a casino. It could be a horse track. 
anywhere you go where you're wagering money as a bet uh, counts as gambling. Okay. And usually the casinos that you go to, if you have your your account number set up with them, every time you show up, you have to log in when you place a bet that it's you. They track that for you in their accounting system. And at the end of the year, you can request from them a detailed printout of your year-to-date winnings or losses, and they'll give it to you for tax purposes. Oh, okay. That's nice of them. And then, uh, again, to try to be a more optimistic example is if I do 10000 you know, I've got my envelope, and, uh, and I come out of there, uh, and I won 13000 so in that case, I'm only going to be taxable on 3000 That's correct. Yeah, your excess winnings over the amount you okay. wagered was 3000 And, uh, you know, we always hear about with stocks, stocks are taxed at a 15%. What are gambling winnings stacked at? Gambling winnings could be taxed at your highest tax bracket you have. It's just <laughs> like wages that you earn from your job. Oh, okay. There's no it's, delineation. There's no tax break for gambling winnings with a lower tax rate. No. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, this is kind of off off the record, but uh, are they going to make gambling a thing here now? Or I uh, know, isn't it like Dave and Buster's has been wanting gambling here for a while, right? It depends on if there's enough push <laughs> in the legislature where they get it done. Yeah. I think they closed that dog track down there on the way to Galveston. That hasn't been around for a while, right. but yeah, we'll see. Okay. Kind of double check a little bit on what the difference between a marginal and an effective tax rate is. Uh, they're, they're very similar. Um, I would think of the effective tax rate being what's your average tax rate. If you take your total tax you had on the return and divide that into taxable income, that kind of gives you your average rate. You know, for every dollar that's sitting in your taxable income, you paid that percentage in tax. So. Okay, and people look to that, I guess, as a, a a way of gaming where they're at. Are they paying too much or not enough? Or most people ask me, "Hey, what tax bracket? What was the highest tax bracket my tax return showed for a certain year?" Uh, the tax brackets are stair step. The, for people that earn lower income overall, they're going to have a lower percentage tax rate applied to them. The, IR, the first tax bracket the IRS has is 10% for people that are fairly low earners. Then it jumps to 12%. And then it jumps to 22%. And then it jumps to 24 And then 34 And then 37 So, you know, the, and it's stair-stepped that way so that the higher income earners that have, you know, taxable income, three, four, or 500000 a year, some of their taxable income is going to get taxed in that highest 34, 37% bracket. If your income is middle class or lower, you're never going to be up in the 34, 37% bracket. And you have to remember your entire taxable income is not taxed at that highest bracket. It's the IRS, the tax brackets are stair step. You know, the first part of your taxable income gets hit at 10%, then the excess over that amount gets hit at 12%. Then the higher up you go, it gets hit at 22. So it, you know, it's a stair. I like to explain it as a stair step. The higher up you yeah. go, the higher the next bracket's going to be on that higher portion of your taxable income. Okay. And then the overarching, if you were to take what you pay divided by what you earned, that's going to be your effective tax 
Yeah, that, that, it's what your total tax divided by taxable income generally is what they deem to be effective. I call it average. Okay. It's an average rate. It's your tax divided by taxable income. And what uh, what are most people with all of the things that we've talked about, what can you kind of look to be paying in an effective rate wise? Or do you even care about that? Is that something to not even think about? Or Just look the average family that's not a real high earner family. I would say, you know, their average tax rate can be anywhere between 12 to 20%. Because okay. again, the tax bracket goes from 10 to 12 to 22 to 24. So right. Uh, that's good. I definitely want to reiterate that uh, everything that we've said here today has uh, been for suggestion and certainly not in any way a uh, to be construed as uh, guidance on your particular situation. But uh, hopefully it kind of gets you some things to think about and hopefully you would reach out to somebody like Patrick, uh, who is a CPA and uh, would uh, love to help you out um, or someone else. That, uh, But is there... Anything else you can kind of give to, excuse me, people? Well, the big takeaway, like we started out the discussion, the IRS has really ramped up and increased the tax credits for families that are available, especially families with kids. So you you want to make sure you're taking advantage of those on your return. And if you're unsure uh, whether your software is doing it correctly, if you do, if you use TurboTax or H&R Block at home yourself, if you're unsure of it. It's always best to get a second opinion, and sometimes people come to me and say, hey, I tried it in TurboTax. I don't like what it shows. I think I'm overpaying. <laughs> you know, Can you prepare it in your software, and can you see if you can lower what I'm coming up with? So oh, that's with, all the, yeah, that's with all the big tax credits, it's just important, especially for 21, to you know make sure that you're preparing it correctly or, and make sure your CPA, if you hire a CPA, make sure he's aware that, you know, you have kids on your return and make sure that the software is, is getting this, the most tax credits you're eligible for. Cause that's why the IRS increased them is they want people to be able to have a refund to help get them through, you know, this COVID crisis that our country's faced. Yeah. You don't want to leave uh, any money on the table, certainly, especially when the government is, uh, you know, giving out these things that uh, people need, certainly for the last two and a half years. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's a good way to think of what it is that uh, that you provide, that it's, it's not necessarily, here's all my paperwork, go do, uh, you know, the taxes, although that is something that you would do, certainly from, I'm sure you have clients that, you know, it's a year round thing, but it's also, like you said, it's just kind of a good uh, way to just, hey, can you double check this and uh, kind of have your your stamp on it to be like, no, everything looks great. You've taken everything that you can. I agree. Awesome. So one thing that I wanted to ask you is, is there a way that individuals, you know, that we can change our mindset on taxes or are they the, you know, they shouldn't necessarily be bad things, right? I mean, they, they help pay for roads and help pay for, uh, you know, programs and that kind of stuff. Uh, do you have a negative ill will on taxes or, you know, do you think there's a, a way that people should look at them in a more positive way? Well, I'll say this. When when I first learned about taxes back in the 80s, back then the highest personal tax rate was 70%, 7-0. That was the highest. Now it's only 37%. Taxes were really high back in the 80s for people that made a lot of money. Uh, George Bush Jr., when he became president, 
His goal was to try to reduce those down. And he did that over his eight years, where over the eight years of being in office, he gradually brought them down. President Obama kept them to where they were. Where they were. Uh, when Trump took office, he, he dropped them a little bit more. So I would say right now, personal tax rates are at the lowest they're probably ever going to be. When the lowest bracket starts at 10%, that's pretty low. Yeah, no, and for the sure. highest is 37, which is almost half of what it was many, many, many years ago. So I would say right now is a good time to make money. I mean, if you can make <laughs> profits in the stock market, if you can you know, get a good paying job and earn quite a bit of money here in the next few years, it's a good time because tax rates are very low. Does it mean we don't want to try to lower your taxes? No, it just means that you don't have to be scared that the tax rates are so high that you're going to owe a ton of money. You know, there are tax saving opportunities like donating monies to charity, uh, setting up IRAs and profit sharing plans. I mean, there's, if you do earn a lot of income personally or in your business, if you're running a business, there, there are ways to help lower that with strategic tax planning. It's just, I kind of tell my clients, We'll look for those opportunities where we can based on your situation, but you know, don't be terribly afraid of the tax rates right now. They're as low as they've been in many, many years. Yeah, and I think that you kind of brought up a good point that if you're paying taxes, it probably means that you made some money, right? Yeah, if you're paying some taxes, it means financially you earned enough income to support your family. And with saving strategies, hopefully you put some away in the bank where you have the cash to pay your tax owed in April. Awesome. And, you know, if you end up owing so much tax, it's probably because you didn't prepay some in during the year enough. And I help my clients all the time who are self-employed, who are having profits. Sometimes I have them pay what the IRS calls a quarterly tax payment that's required for those that don't have all their tax taken out of their paycheck because they don't work as a W-2 employee. They have their own business at home, and they have to set aside their own tax money. You can pay it in to the IRS each quarter during the year, and the IRS will hold it and apply it against your 1040 when you finally get it prepared, and it applies against the tax that you owe there. Yeah, that's a good way to do because they'll ding you too, right? If you, they'll if ding you, you if you don't like... pay in enough each quarter during the year. Yeah. Yeah. So, awesome. Well, I can't... Uh... Support Patrick enough in uh, regards to what uh, he shared today, because uh, taxes are uh, something that uh, you should give uh, a little bit of uh, time to throughout the year, and uh, obviously this time of year certainly a lot more attention. But uh, I would definitely reach out to him or someone else that you feel comfortable with, uh, just to again get a second pair of eyes, because I've definitely uh, learned a handful of things today, certainly in regards to the child tax credit and, and the freeze, uh, you know, we were definitely hit by that. So yeah, good stuff. Thank you so much, Patrick. Appreciate it, Steve. Alrighty. Uh, what are your deets if somebody wanted to reach out to you? Uh, you can find me on the internet, Patrick Cooper and Associates CPAs. I'm here in Pearland and my phone number is 281-485-6600. Uh, you know, like I said, if you already have a CPA and he's doing a good job for you, I would say stay with him. You know, I did this program today for just to share knowledge with people. Uh, I don't mind you calling me at any time. That's fine. But uh, I did this program today with you, Steve, just to get the word out that there's a lot of tax credits and opportunities for people that 
if they don't know about them, they won't take advantage of them. So the government put them out there for for people to take advantage and to help them. So awesome! I hope that everybody will uh, reach out and uh, hopefully lower their average tax rate. Thanks to Patrick. So awesome! Take care. Appreciate it.